Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinus. Makalua. The main team. Mega Bears fan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 388 of Polycast. I am Canis Albinus, and I'm here with our regular co hosts, Makalua. Does this mean we're going 88 miles per hour? Do we get to time travel? I hope not. And Mega Bears fan. Great Scott, it's already football season. And the me and team is out with COVID uh, vaccine again, which was planned. That COVID vaccine really knocks you down. For some people, yeah. Yeah. But not as knocked down as you get if you actually contract COVID. Having experienced both things, I think I felt worse when I got the vaccine, but I had a lot more results and bad things happen from having the virus itself, some of which I still haven't recovered from. So uh, we're on eight months of recovery time, and then I still can't think straight, and I still can't breathe very well. So get the vaccine, folks. I was about to say, there's more reasons for you to take a vaccine. Trust me, it's not worth it. Your political views are not worth not being able to breathe for the rest of your life. Steam Deck now, which is a Switch, but a Steam Switch, which... Eh, eh, eh. That sounded very Dr. Seuss, Maggie. Lovely. <laughs> I, how am I channeling Dr. Seuss today? I don't know. Uh, but that butta, Black Butterfly wanted to know if there was any news of Seussic support for the upcoming Steam Deck. Uh, presumably, Steam Deck is running Steam OS version of Civ 6. But with the desktop UI and the controls, because uh, for them, they've got Civ 6 on a Switch, and it's actually getting really sluggish. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, all the uh, DLC stuff has bogged the game down quite a bit on Switch. Uh... It runs very slowly. Well, and even on my PC and laptop, like just having the DLCs and expansions installed dramatically increases loading times. It For me, it doesn't necessarily... Uh, make the performance of the game once you're loaded worse, but like the loading into the game for the first time is I get to listen to Sean Bean's narration and then sit around for like three minutes waiting for the game to actually load. Yeah, it does take quite a while to load a game. The way that you solve the the spool time for load up is to just play on a smaller map, which is not always as fun. Or have a really kick-ass solid state drive. It doesn't even need to be a really good one. It just needs to be a solid-state drive. Yeah, yeah. true. I, they're all kick-ass, I suppose. <laughs> Compared <laughs> to what we're used to, yeah. Yeah, I have my OS on the solid-state, but my games are all on a separate 
non-solid state drive, which uh, sucks. I need to replace that with a solid state as well. Yeah, Civ is one of two games that I put on the SSD simply because that drastically reduced even just the initial load time for the game to launch. But then also in the games, I'm usually, when we've been playing multiplayer, I'm usually now one of the first few people in the game after the host. Whereas before I used to be like the last time, I'm like, yeah, guys, I'm still loading. Give me a minute. I play it enough that probably would be like a worthwhile thing to do that would save you a lot of time. If only Windows uh, 10 weren't so damn big, I would have room on my OS drive to also <laughs> install Civ. Don't worry, Windows 11 is coming. <laughs> yes, because that's going to improve so many things. Yeah, it's probably not going to do that much. It's probably just going to be a new coat of paint, but that's okay. My suspicion is it's just going to be a new layer of like stuff on top of the already multiple layers of legacy things that they are still supporting, so that when I try to go into like the OS options and settings, I will now have to look in three or four different places to try to find the setting that I want, instead of just looking in two or three different places, because it's like, oh, is it going to be in like the legacy Windows XP style, like control panel? Is it going to be in the Windows 10 settings menu, or is there going to be a new like Windows 11 settings and options menu that's going to have a completely different UI and a completely different list of options that's going to make it hard to find these power user settings? I doubt they'll do that, because we have the Windows 7, which is the one that I still use, which is the standard control panel. And uh, there's also the settings to uh, the settings app, which is the Windows 10 version that was adapted from the Windows 8 version. So at least twice in the last four updates, they have not built a new, entire new control panel system. The most recent one is a revamp of the one before it, so. I hope not. I just hope that they actually make the new, if they make the settings app have all the functionality that the control set, control panel had, I would use the, the settings app because it's pretty and it, it's easier for me to access, but it doesn't have the functionality I need, so I don't use it. Yeah, like if you're like, if you, especially in like a professional, uh, you know, or, or development setting where you're doing things like creating like uh, user permissions and, uh, you know, multiple accounts and stuff like that, like setting all those sorts of things up can be a real pain in the butt in Windows 10 because you do have to do at least some of the stuff in the old legacy control panel. And so you got to just be in like two places to do some of this stuff. Do anything with audio and you have to use the old system. You actually yeah. have to use the, the the thing from before the control panel for that because it uses the old dialog box from Windows XP, which is pretty rare even today because Windows 7 didn't really upgrade that and neither did Windows 8 or 10. Yeah. But if you when when you're dealing with audio equipment, Windows just doesn't handle it very well. Nope. It's probably the one thing. It's probably the thing Windows handles the worst. A lot of the stuff that they were that they do is has gotten a lot better over time, but the audio is still bad. But anyway, we digress because Windows is not <laughs> going to be installed on the Steam Deck. So, <laughs> no. Although you can install Windows on the Steam Deck. Oh, can you? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, that was something. Who is this in here? At least until uh, Valve removes that functionality, and a bunch of people get angry and sue them over it, like a uh, cough Sony. Oh, well, that doesn't sound like... Oh, go ahead. Well, the original poster also put screenshots in here so you can see what the interface 
for Civ looks like on the Switch, and then what it looks like on a high-resolution PC version. And even on, you know, even on PC, we kind of complain about where everything is, and if you think about, we don't know how big, I, I mean, do we know how big the screen is going to be for that? I mean, you were saying earlier, it's like, like identical to Switch, or... It's not to- identical, but it's very close. The pictures that I've seen make it look to me like it's halfway in between a, a Nintendo Switch and a Sega Game Gear in terms of, like, aesthetics. But I don't know how accurate those pictures were, if those were just, like, prototypes. When I uh, when I hold my Switch, it fits into the same area that the Steam Deck fit into the hands of the person who were holding it in the promo footage. So I suspect they're fairly similar. My hands aren't that big, but they're also not that small. So I think I have. I think that's an average. Usually, hand models don't biggest hands available, do they? Probably not. Either way, I have pre-ordered a uh, shoot. Steam, Steam deck. deck. Yes, Steam Deck. Yes, and I will test it in quarter two, twenty twenty two, when I get it. So, to just like a. A serious question because I don't know much about it. Will this thing be able to just play any game that you have in your Steam library, or does a game have to specifically be optimized for the deck in order for the deck to be able to play it? It says you can play any game in your Steam library from it. I don't know if I believe that because not all games can be played in Linux. But maybe Valve has solved the emulation problem. Who knows? So then, if that is to, believe, to be believed, then the a straightforward answer to this particular forum topic is yes, Civ, you should expect Civ 6 to be playable on the deck. The, so the more important question then is, like, will it be well-optimized and controlled nicely and not be an absolute nightmare to play? I imagine it will probably use the same controls that the Switch does. Um, because they already have that built into the game. They bu- they built that into Civ Five even. So that would be probably be an automatic thing that it just handles. Sort of like how a lot of games, most games on PC now that are that are compatible with controllers, you don't have to go and automatic intentionally set them up that way. They just kind of set themselves up, which is really nice because it didn't be that way. But so you load Civ 6 onto the Steam Deck when you first <clears throat> uh, get it and everything, and it should, what you're saying is it should automatically configure itself to controller controls, and we don't have to worry about trying to use a strange UI on that tiny, tinier, well, it's not tiny, but small screen. I would imagine that's what would happen. Uh, if that is not what happens, the very least we will probably get in the launcher or in the launch uh, command line an option to set it to load that way because if you look back to 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 uh, Civ Five, the way that they they implemented touch screens on Civ Five after the game had already been out for several years, and the way that they implemented that was by adding an option at launch to say launch with touch screen controls. Will the Steam Deck have a touch screen? I don't know. I have not. I did not look to see that because I don't care about touchscreens. I think touchscreens on handhold consoles has kind of fallen out of vogue. Like even Nintendo isn't doing that anymore, right? Like the Switch is not touchscreen compatible, is the it? Switch, the Switch, I believe, does have a touchscreen, or it? at least something. It, I, I have played my Switch 
for Pokemon exclusively. So um, I don't know exactly if it has a touchscreen, but there are times when it behaves as if it might. Hmm. None of the games that I've played on the Switch have uh, used the touchscreen for anything, at least not anything meaningful, because whenever I'm playing the Switch, I'm usually playing it like docked on the TV. I like I don't think I've ever like personally played it in handheld mode. Does the Switch have a touchscreen? Oh, I probably should not um, type that in YouTube. I should type it in Google. Oh, did you just like accidentally uh, <laughs> type a YouTube comment <laughs> to us? <laughs> yes, I did. Not to not to um, the polycast, but to my one of my brother's videos. Whoops. So that's going to be interesting to try to explain to him tomorrow. You can delete yeah. the comment. Yeah, Windows and its standard Nintendo Switch console has a 6.2-inch LCD multi-touch capacitive touchscreen. Huh. So it does have a touchscreen. Well, okay then. And it looks like it's better than the 3DS touchscreen, which I would hope so. Because I don't think the 3DS touchscreen could handle more than one contact at a time. Well then, I guess I rescind my comment that... uh... Touchscreens have fallen out of vogue. Well, they have because they're not advertised because we didn't know. Yeah, and, and they, also, the games, games don't use it. Yeah, the games aren't being built specifically for it. It's like it's kind of funny to think of the Switch as having a touchscreen, considering that one of the big selling points of the Switch is to dock it and play it on your TV, which uh, obviously you're not using the touchscreen when it's. Yeah, I mean the the. The dock blocks the touchscreen, so, like, even if you wanted to, like, dock it, like, right next to you, so that you could hypothetically use the touchscreen, like, you can't, because the dock is in the way. I have never docked my 3DS. I've played more than 100 hours of Pokemon, and I've never done that. But that's just me. Yeah, I pretty much only ever played Breath of the Wild and, like, Smash Brothers and maybe a little bit of Mario Kart. So, I'm not a big Switch player. Someone else pointed out further down in the thread that even right now, if you do like the, I think the thing is big picture, but you can play you can play Civ right now with the Steam controller, and they say it's not that it's fine. So if the controls are similar for Steam Deck, then it probably it is going to be perfectly fine playing Civ Six on that. I would believe it. The Steam controller is really nice. I like it. It's a shame they don't make it anymore. It's too bad that the um, that plugging in the PS4 controller to uh, a PC does not apparently allow you to use the uh, PS4's touchpad. That's like right in the middle. I don't think the drivers uh, recognize it because it would be kind of nice to be able to use that as like a substitute for the mouse for certain situations. I think they're working on it, actually. Yeah. I've seen in the beta updates for the Steam client, I've seen things talking about the, the PS4 controller. Yeah, as of the last time I used a PS4 controller to play a Steam game, uh, the touchpad, the PS4 touchpad, like, did not work as a touchpad. I think it still works as, like, a button when you click it down, but not as a touchpad. Because we know Steam has the capability to understand touchpads because the Steam controller has a touchpad. Uh, it's got mm. two touchpads. Yeah, so there were, yeah. one of the things they were talking about is you can just use the trackpad as opposed to the sticks to navigate the menus. Having used that, it's not easy, though. 
Yeah, as someone who has a pretty nice gaming laptop, I'm not going to be in a super rush to get a portable Steam machine. But uh, I do have at least one or two friends who I know will probably, like, either... I think one of them has already pre-ordered it, and another might get it, like, right after it comes out, uh, assuming that, like, reviews for it are good. So I can maybe try out theirs and see if it's worth getting. I mean, if it's even one-third as useful as the Switch, it'll be worth it. Yeah. The issue that I have is that most of the games that I'm playing on um, Steam on my laptop are, like, pretty beefy games, you know, that are resource-intensive. Games like Civ, like Total War, like, uh, you know, Crusader Kings. Games that I really don't expect would perform very well on a portable, uh, and which would not have very good playability on a smaller screen and without a, you know, mouse or touchscreen. Like, if it doesn't have a touchscreen, that could be a big deal-breaker. Well, let's take my earlier YouTube search. Does the Steam Deck have a touchscreen? And I've also played Civ Six on a uh, tablet that has a touchscreen with a stylus, and that was like like, okay, but I had a lot of problems with, like, misclicks and, like, double clicks and stuff like that, and, uh, like, not getting, like, context-sensitive clicks to work, like, correctly with certain things, so, uh, I usually just go back to using the little fold-out keyboard and trackpad whenever I play it portably. The Steam Deck has a 7-inch touchscreen. Okay. So it's bigger than the Switch. That's good. That'll definitely help with all the, you know, big strategy games that I am likely to play that uh, are, you know, you basically need a mouse and keyboard for. We have an amusing uh, Reddit post from a user, uh, Kius Order, from a couple days ago, asking, what do your loved ones call Civ? Uh... And I think my favorite response is, like, the second one, which is someone, uh, Admiral uh, Barack Adama, saying, <laughs> my my five-year-old calls it Map Place, which is really cute. Yeah, I liked uh, when they said, you're playing the civilization, you're playing civilization as the Romans. Isn't that like playing, <laughs> playing, um, what, what, what was it that they said? A baseball thing, but playing as the Yankees or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. for for the European listeners, it's like you're playing uh, the FIFA game, and yeah, I'm going to pick like uh, uh, Liverpool, something. So yeah, it's kind of we 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 have sieves that are so powerful that you're playing it. It's almost like cheating. Like playing Formula One, except playing as Mercedes. There you go. The top response on this particular thread is. Uh, from, Are you playing that bleeping game again? <laughs> yeah, my wife calls it again, with an implied, like, question mark, dot, 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 exclamation mark. <laughs> or something like that, not necessarily in that order. I'm, I'm not sure how punctuation like that works. It doesn't work that way, but it's the internet, so we just kind of roll with it. Yeah. Um, I, like, I like when they say... Uh, you know, you said one more turn six turns ago. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or similarly down the third, uh, it says, can you get off now? And she's standing there wearing lingerie, the girlfriend is apparently. I mean, we all love a game of soup, but there's sometimes when you should put the, well, the keyboard or the controller down and, 
you know, come back to reality for a little bit. Well, hey, with the Steam Deck, you can do both. I think that's going to get you in more trouble. <laughs> yeah, probably. <clears throat> if you're having any other kind of fun times, don't try to multitask. I don't have any real-life loved ones who live with me other than my cat, and my cat calls it. Or what my cat does every time I play Civ is to climb on top of the computer and fall asleep on the heat, so I think she likes it. Yeah. Ooh, you're playing a game, it makes a warm spot again. All right. Then again, she likes it when I play any game, so I don't think Civ is special in that regard. Yeah, it's just Daddy has the heat box on. Time to take a nap. Actually, when I do play on the couch... uh with on the with the laptop uh sometimes my uh girlfriend actually does sit behind it to get the heat from the uh laptop's exhaust <laughs> yeah so that's that's actually not even uniquely a cat thing <laughs> i mean that seems like not a big problem that you would have if you live in las vegas but no it can get really cold at night so yeah, sometimes at night it can get chilly with the AC running, but also, I mean, you know, even in the desert, uh, winters are cold. Mm-hmm. We have it, it gets cold in January, even in Las Vegas. How cold? Well, probably not as cold as you're used to, but we, you know, we get sub-freezing <laughs> temperatures from time to time. We get, you know, every year we have at least like a couple hard freeze warnings. Uh, that's not too bad. We sometimes have months where we don't go above zero or not zero um 32 well i'm also kind of like a stickler for not running the the heat like unless it is like really cold so it will often be in the like low to mid 60s in the inside the house which you know can be chilly somebody else down there has it their wife asks if the queen is beckoning me again which is her referring to the england trade screen (laughs) would you like a trade agreement with england this is just a fun thread to read. What is with this spam of a bunch of people saying hilarious any other examples? Pretty oh, sure that person. was yeah. a bot. I mean, it's all different usernames, but yeah, must be a bot. I mean, Reddit is the homeland bots. Yeah, it's just like, if it is a bot, it's not one of those bots that just has like obvious bot usernames. Like, they, they they did a pretty good job of making those look like they have real usernames. Getting better at it. Why oh, is it the nerd game? It looks like we have at least one response from potentially an actual Firaxis developer. So, uh, about a quarter of the way down the page for me, uh, Manu Syadru says, uh, it's called Work. And then user uh, name FXS underscore D-R-A-A-B-E, which is tagged as gameplay designer, says same. So. I think that Manizadru is also a Civ designer because it says my non-work account. Hi. Yeah. Yep. I like it when they say the boring game or this conquer the world game or little people or the Romans. There's somebody else in here. Where was it? Lost it again. Oh, yeah. Somebody's girlfriend calls it the one with the wrong countries bordering each other at the wrong times. Because one time she saw it was like Canada was defending against the Roman Empire. She's like, wait, that's not right. Well, that is a very apt description of civilization. Civilization is the history game that doesn't follow history. Or rather, the history game 
the the history what if game where nothing matters and the points are real. Yeah, it is absolutely the least historical historical game that I play that isn't like actually a fantasy game with like historical trappings. Oh no, it's literally a fantasy game. Well, I mean like 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 steampunk or something like that, you know, like like literal fantastical uh theming. We need more steampunk games, really. Yeah. I mean there's been steampunk modes in Civ. Uh that was my favorite scenario in all of Civ history. That steampunk version. In Civ 5, Gods and Kings. Yeah, I think the uh, closest thing to a pet name for Civ that I've ever heard from uh, my girlfriend is along the lines of, okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> Crack. The game with the cow, because he saw the resource the first time he watched me play it. Somebody's family lumping Civ 6, EU 4, Hearts of Iron 4. I'm not sure what the last one is, but altogether, is that damn map game? Oh, uh, either the game, the one that could be a board game, or the one with the chick with the guns, meaning Gorgo. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, yeah. I would not want to get into a fight with Gorgo. Nope. I mean, she's a Spartan. She'll kick your bum. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I think we've had enough fun with this one for now. Stoic on Civ Fanatics. Um, this looks like it might be a little bit older of a topic. August 28th was when it was, or April 28th when it was first posted. But it's a poll, which means Dan would be happy. Does Epic Speed make the game easier? Are Eureka and Moments and War easier on Epic Speed? To which the current vote tally is 43 yes and 9 no, which is. 82.7% yes and 17.3% no. And uh, the general gist of the point is that because time is moving slower, units are moving faster relative to the speed of the technology advance, which means that units are more useful for longer before you have to spend money to upgrade. Yeah, and they get the, a lot more done in the time you have with them. And since the AI is really bad at handling its units, you are more likely to do better on a game in epic speed as long as you are at a low enough difficulty that you are not going to be outright killed by the AI's massive number of starting units before you can build your own. I do wonder, though, if... Because I haven't played Civ Six much on Epic or Marathon game speeds. I loved playing Civ Four on um, Epic and Marathon. It was actually the my speed of choice, but that was, you know, back when I was, like, in college and just had a lot more free time to kill. Uh, I don't have as much of that anymore. I played Civ Five a little bit on Epic speed, um, but Civ Five was already kind of slow and boring and vanilla anyway, so I quickly stopped doing that. But, yeah, I just don't have time to play Civ Six games in Epic and Marathon, but I do wonder if uh, on higher difficulties, if that basically boils down to the AIs having more turns with their, like, inherent yield bonuses, 
and if that potentially makes them more challenging on an economic level. Well, just a few posts down, somebody was pointing out that Babylon and Mali would really benefit from that because their abilities are <clears throat> instantaneous. Mm-hmm. So they're going to accumulate a lot more. And Portugal as well. Mm-hmm. And you also get more time to ensure that you're getting Eurekas and Inspirations. Well, like when we do multiplayer, we're playing at online speed. It feels like I can't get the like units or something on some of them built fast enough to get the Eureka before I could have already researched it. Whereas at Epic and Marathon, it's going to take you 20 turns, even for a simple tech, you have time to do that or whichever, bleh, whichever Eureka you're going for. For instance, Babylon and England both set settle their first city on a coast. Babylon gets free sailing. England gets 40% um, shoot, 40% progress toward the tech. On slow speed, since I believe it's... Tw- is Epic twice as... I think, I think Ep- a- Epic is 50% longer and Marathon is twice as long. But I don't know for sure because I haven't played the much in Civ Six. Yeah, well, <clears throat> but like England's saving that 40% on a speedier level it's only saving them a few turns but it could save them 10 turns like an epic or marathon or more and that's enough for say babylon to already have a builder out in the amount of time it took to build the first ship you do have to spend more gold more production on some of these because somebody gave the somebody's down here giving the example of 250 gold per crossbow upgrade becomes 375 per upgrade on epic but at the same time, you also have more time to accumulate that money. You're not necessarily going to have the tech speedily to do the crossbow thing, so you know in advance to save up. Yeah, if you're generating a lot of money, a lot of gold per turn, that will probably very likely uh, overwhelm the increase in costs of things because of all the extra turns in which you are generating that wealth. Also, uh, there are several things that don't take into account the game scaling still, even after the latest patch. Governors don't get take longer to establish themselves in cities, which or means you can... worse yet, shorter on quicker game speeds. Yeah. So, you can move Magnus around and harvest everything in every city, and not really waste any time, especially on uh, epic marathon speed, because it takes you two years to move a governor, basically. Yeah, that five turns feels more like just two turns. You don't have as much time in the ancient era to find goody huts and kill things to make sure you don't get a classical Dark Age. Yeah, definitely anything that involves the movement of units uh, across or around the map is going to be... You're going to have an advantage on the longer game speeds just because, yeah, you can move further and more in less, you know, quote, time. So Barbarians like can, are a lot harder. Yeah, they can be. Because uh, they, they, they keep spawning faster than you can really build units, so you gotta protect your units. Yeah, that's a big thing in Epic and Marathon speeds, is you definitely want to be more careful about keeping your units alive, because it's much more expensive to replace a unit in uh, longer game speeds. You know, if it takes 
twice as long for you to build a new crossbowman to replace the crossbowman that got killed, while that's also twice as long for your opponent to potentially surround your city and capture it. Because not only does movement speed not scale with map speed, but I don't think combat values scale either. So, like, the damage that you deal to units is the same. So it's not like suddenly it's going to take five turns to kill your crossbowman instead of, you know, two turns of attacking it on a normal speed. No, it's it's still units do the same amount of damage to each other. So and once your unit's dead, it's just going to take twice as long to, you know, build a new one to replace it. And you're going to have even more barbarians because it's going to take you longer to either put out enough settlers to cover a lot of the spots or even just get out fog busting guys, prevent them from spawning in certain areas because it still takes longer to build the units too. I do wonder if uh, if pillage or plundering or pillaging or whatever the heck they call call it or raiding the uh, barbarian outposts on the barbarian clans mode. Like, I wonder if the cooldown for that is longer on uh, longer game mm. speeds because there's like a cooldown of like I think it's ten turns between when you can like sack the outpost for gold. Because if you can still do that every ten turns, even on marathon. Like, that is, like, twice as much money, or four times as much money, I, I guess. I don't know how much longer Marathon is. Marathon is 33% speed, so I think that's uh, three times as long. Okay, yeah, so that's is essentially three times the money from just farming gold from Barbarian Outposts with Barbarian Clans on. And you were right, Ma- uh, Epic Speed is 66% speed, which I think means it's 50% faster. Or 50% slower. Okay, and then Marathon is just twice epic. Yes. Yeah, one one thing that I would like to see in future Civ games is maybe, like, options for era-specific game speeds, if that makes sense. Because I my favorite part of, Civ, of the Civ games has always been, like, the early half of the game, like, up through, like, the medieval and, like, into the renaissance, and I always feel like that part of the game, especially on higher difficulties, where there's all the bonuses and the AIs are flying through technologies, uh, that part of the game just feels like it flies by way too fast. Like, I really wish there was a way to play up through the renaissance in epic game speed, and then play through the rest of the game on normal game speed so that it doesn't become too much of a drag. That would be interesting, although it would be uh, really bad in multiplayer games. Because in the later game, in multiplayer is when you have a lot more stuff to do, usually. Yeah. Yeah, I play almost exclusively single-player, though, so... I don't uh, tend to think about stuff like that for uh, multiplayer. But it would be kind of a neat option if they could get that to work. Because I know that would mess with a lot of, like, scaling and stuff like that. Uh, You know, like, unit and building costs and stuff like that. Do you change those when you go into a new era? Like, but, yeah, it would be nice to have uh, the first half of the game, you know, the fun part of the game take a little longer and the back half of the game go a little faster. See, I like the back half of the game better than I like the early part of the game, but that's just me. Yeah, well, then maybe you would want vice versa. No, I'm happy with it the way it is. Okay. You can also do advanced start and just skip the first half of the game if you want. Yeah, but that feels like cheating. When you go on advanced start, it alters a lot of things that would otherwise not be altered. 
Yeah. Well, you just have more information about, like, where to put cities and stuff like that, because all the resources are revealed and, you know, things like that. And you've had all that time of the previous turns to snowball a bunch of stuff together. Yeah. So is the AI, technically, but, you know. Since when does the AI actually threaten a victory against us? Well, it depends on where your difficulty level is, I guess. Very true. Well, if you don't survive the uh, uh, barbarian and AI war rush at the start yeah. of the game, then they might not be a threat to win because the game's not going to last long enough for them to win. But they will definitely defeat you. If you're defeated, they automatically win. Is it the AI that kills you that automatically gets credit for the win? Like, does the game no. give credit to the win? or give the, the game doesn't give credit to the win. It just gives you credit for the loss. Right, yeah. But... In a game where the human player is eliminated, all the AIs technically win. Yeah, I guess. Because they have fulfilled their objective. Yeah. Depending on, you know, where you stand on the should the AI be playing to win or playing to roleplay debate. Either way, they were playing to create an, an environment that made it challenging for you. Yeah. And uh, their objective is to make the game worth playing. They succeeded if they beat you, but they also succeeded if they put up a fight. So, True. That's a, a good way of looking at it. Well, <clears throat> speaking of cities, uh, so when do you stop building them? Mango 201 started the topic over here on Sith Fanatics. And, I mean, obviously you have to stop if you run out of space, but given enough land or opportunity, is there a point in the game past which just unwise to keep build- building settlers? It's one of those it depends answers. <laughs> I mean, you've got the space and the land, sure, but there's also, I guess, how much, especially if you like doing a large or a huge map, how much micromanagement do you want to have to spend your time in turns doing? Yeah, I kind of look at it as there being like three questions to, to ask in a situation like that. And the first one is, can I spare the production time for the settler? Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is, will I get a return on investment from whatever city I'm going to be founding? And that is a combination of both how late in the game it is and also where you're putting the city. Because obviously, even if you put a city in a Tundra Snowball location very early in the game, you're not going to get much return on investment in terms of yield. So the return on investment would be, is it like strategic? Like, does it let you cross through? Yeah ice or, you know, create like a canal or something like that that lets you move your units more efficiently across water, you know, something like that. Or, you know, you just put walls up and it asks uh, acts as a defensive frontier. So yeah. that's the second question. And then the third question uh, for me is, uh, I forgot what the third question would be. <laughs> well, that's not good. Well, I was going to say with number two also, uh, even if it's late in the game, if that's the only close source to you, say, of uranium or something like that, yeah, you're going to put a crap city up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The third question is, is it worth the uh, extra busy work of actually uh, operating the city, you know, putting things in the build queue and all that stuff? Just tell it to build a wonder. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's yeah. true. If you don't, yeah, if you don't want to have to worry about going back there all the time. Yeah, sometimes I just I just queue up a district that I is never going to actually be able to be finished because at that point in the game, you know, a district on a brand new city with very little production takes like a hundred turns to build. 
Yeah, there's something wrong with that. Well, I guess what you would do in a situation like that, if you actually wanted to get that district built, is you would send over the governor that lets you, like, buy it with gold or whatever. Yeah, or send it trade routes. Yeah, send lots and lots of trade routes. Or rush with uh, builder chopping. But yeah, like, do you want to go through the trouble of all of that, you know, micromanagement for a new city uh, late in the game where it's not going to have very much impact on the outcome of the game? If it's just going to drag the game out more, then... Yeah, no, unless there's something there that I really want. Aluminum, uranium, oil are worth the work. And even then, it really depends on whether or not there are any viable military threats left in the game uh, for you to need those resources for. Well, you need aluminum for the space race victory, too. Yeah. If I've got tundra tundra uranium, I'm going to go put a city on that just so the AI doesn't go put a city on that. Yeah, there's that too. There's also the consideration of of making sure you take away a resource or strategic location from the AI. Although the AI does not place their cities particularly strategically. Like almost every game I run into like one or two places where it's like, oh my gosh, if you had like moved your city one tile over, it would be in a canal and you'd be able, you wouldn't have to sail your damn ships halfway around the world (laughs) to get them to the other side of that city. That has been a long-standing problem in Civ for many iterations now. Yeah, it's just something that the AI does not seem, either doesn't consider at all when placing cities, or is not weighted high enough. Yeah, it might be a not-consider thing that might be outside the... the, the AI, as far as we know, does not have that long, long of a term vision. Like, we can think 100 turns ahead, but the AI necessarily can't. Because we can see that spot when we were exploring early in the game and put a pin there like, I want to settle a city there so we don't forget about it. But the AI doesn't have that longer vision. Well, but even then, if they're placing a city like on the next, you know, one or two tiles over anyway, it's they already like pick that general location as a good spot for a city. They just didn't consider the strategic advantage of having it in a, you know, canal or, you know, maybe in a place that's like very defensible, like, you know, surrounded by hills and stuff or mountains and stuff like that. Human, human, human thought advantage. Yeah. At least until them quantum computers, quantum gaming computers, uh, start coming online. I don't know if a quantum computer is the best solution for that kind of thing. Yeah, because it's still, at that point, like an AI programming issue. Yeah. I think modern computers are capable of doing the calculations. The problem is they require so many different lateral directions that it can become a process thing. So I I guess, theoretically, a quantum computer could make the calculations faster, but... It would have to, but it's not really a parallel processing problem. So. Well, what could potentially be advantageous is if you combine quantum computing with local machine learning. If the computer can run a bunch of simulations of the game really, really quickly in real time, then it can, you know, you can have a machine learning AI, you know, piggybacking on our episode from like one or two episodes ago, uh, and then make better decisions uh, on the fly. Hypothetically. Yeah, we could use the min-max algorithm if we do that, but it's not very efficient. Oh, this is not what I need to be thinking about right now. We're talking about Civ, <laughs> not machine learning. Um, well, Casper GM had a comment in the thread that 
they stop at the start of the industrial era because they can't pick monumentality anymore and have the super cheap faith built settlers. You know, you can keep your, cause you can keep your empire turning on and units and other things, but then all of your settlers and builders just faith, 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 you know. There is no intrinsic penalty to building more cities. Well, there other than never... potentially loyalty pressure. Well, yeah, but that's not really a penalty so much as it is a limitation. Yeah. Um, you don't get your your amount of tech and culture required to grow does not get affected negatively by the number of mm. cities you settle like it did in 5. So... There's no reason not to settle if there's an empty land. Yeah, the only real penalty is more cities probably means more districts, which I think increases the cost of future districts. That's true. So if you did build a bunch of crap cities earlier in the game that you don't really need and you put districts in them, then you are potentially increasing the cost of building those same districts in later cities that would get more benefit from them. Like but you, if you're building districts in crap cities, they're not crap cities anymore. Well, true, but I, I guess what I mean is, like, if you if you built a city early in the game that has, like, a, a campus next to, like, one mountain, you're getting plus one from it, you are then increasing the cost of future campuses. So then when you put a city in, like, a space where you can build a campus in the middle of, like, five mountains where you're going to get a plus five campus, that district is now going to take longer. So, I mean, does it really matter? Eh. Especially since you can chop or rush districts. I think it matters, but it doesn't matter enough to make it work. It's not a deal-breaker, the way yeah. that the global happiness in Civ Five would be a deal-breaker. If I'm settling a city that is not worthy of building districts, I'm not going to bother building districts there. But if it's worthy of settling building districts, I will put them there, and then it's not a crap city, so... Well, it's it never hurts to just throw down a harbor or a commercial hub just to get the extra trade route, because those are well, pretty universally useful. Yeah, that makes the city w worth something in a net positive net manner anyway. Yeah, that's the only like trash district that I will just throw down in a complete garbage city is I, I, I will potentially try to build a harbor or a, a campus. And that, that will be the district that I just queue up just to make it so I don't have to do a bunch of crap with the city. And hey, if it finishes it and I get that market out and I get another trade route, awesome. Uh, if not, you know, whatever, no big deal. I usually build workers first, but yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll like buy, you know, gold buy or faith buy if, if possible, like a, a granary and a monument and a water mill if possible, just to have those buildings there. Oh, well, then it, you're putting a significant investment into it, so it's not a crap city anymore. Well, it depends. I mean, you, a lot of times at that point in the game, I've got the gold to spare. Instead of a, a crap city, it's a meh city. It's not your greatest city that's going to produce wonders or produce a stupid amount of uh, faith or science. But but, but at least grows and give me some yield. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, unlike districts, the cost of that infrastructure does not scale up over the game. So, you know, by the industrial era, you know, the cost of gold or faith buying a monument or a granary is pretty cheap. A hundred gold or something like that? On standard, on standard speed, I think a monument is like 200 gold and a granary okay. is like 240. But still at that point, you could be making at least, you should be making at least that much per turn. Oh yeah, if not like making a thousand gold per turn. Yeah. Hello, Portugal. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, if I can afford to, like, buy a unit that costs 2,000 gold, like, I can afford to throw down a monument and a granary in a new city. Yeah. But it's all, like, situational, right? Like, it's, I'm not saying always do that. You know, it's just, like, it's something I usually do just so that the city is producing something. On top of any potential, you know, resources or whatever that it's giving me. Uh, the other cost of placing new cities is there is, I think, an amenity cost. Uh, which is kind of, yes. sort of global. Because mm-hmm. uh, as the population grows, the amenities are automatically distributed to that uh, that city's population, which potentially limits the growth of your other cities, which you might actually want to grow bigger. Because now, you know, some of the amenity that would be going to those bigger cities is then getting shifted to those smaller cities that you're not doing anything with. So, uh, you know, getting your like your capital up from content to happy which gives it yield bonuses is probably might be more valuable than just having another city somewhere that's not going to produce much yeah i didn't think about that that's probably true too yeah so it's it's this is a complicated question to a- uh, answer because unlike civ 5 there is a lot to think about there's a lot of pros and there's also a lot of cons and it In does civ 5 the answer was just no don't yeah. settle more than four cities. Right, maybe five. If you've got the space for it. And, like, there's a resource or something that you need. But that was, yeah, pretty much the limit in Civ Five Was, yeah, four, five-ish cities. Glad those days are over. Yeah, agreed. It is nice to have an empire-building game that actually lets you build an empire. <laughs> yeah. They build as many cities as they want and feel like micromanaging. If I didn't want to micromanage, six. if I didn't want to micromanage all the cities, I wouldn't playing this game. I mean, that's like, and micromanaging cities is kind of like one of the more core design philosophies of Civ Six compared to previous Civs because of like the district system. Yeah. So yeah, kind of. To what Canis you just said, uh, yeah, if you don't like micromanaging cities, then, like, maybe Civ Six is not the iteration of Civ for you. But if you do like empire management and building infrastructure, then, hooray, Civ Six. Well, this has been Polycast episode 388. I have been one of your regular co-hosts, Mega Bears fan, joined as always by Canis Albinus. I had something to say and then I forgot it. Ah, uh, I hate when that happens. I hate and- it so much. And Makalua. Is, is that today's show theme and title? I had a great comment, but I totally forgot what it was. That doesn't sound like a good episode title (laughs) yeah I don't think that engenders a lot of confidence from our audience (laughs) um maybe we should call the episode epic game speed not the store (laughs) there you go Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 sound clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.